Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Cornell, and thank you for tuning in to the Freedom First podcast. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you who listen live and listen later. This program is growing, but I can't do it without you. So make sure you like, comment, and share it to show your support. Today, I am joined by Libertarian presidential candidate Judge Jim Gray and vice presidential candidate Larry Sharp. Both of these men are known quantities in the Libertarian Party which has been at the center of some political controversy ever since the independent congressman from Michigan, Justin Amash, made the switch to Libertarian. The Libertarian Party is rapidly growing in interest and in membership. Millions of Americans are wondering now more than ever during this very polarizing time in American politics if they should make option three priority one. Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp, how are you, how are you guys doing today? Jake, just fine. It's always good to talk with good people. Appreciate the opportunity. And by the way, there's something really libertarian about an AMA, which we know means ask me anything. And uh, I'll bet you that neither Biden nor Trump submit themselves to an AMA in this campaign. Larry Sharp and I are right this minute. So take the gloves off and let's talk. All right. Let's jump right into it. The first question I have for you, which is a a, a lot of people outside the party, um, are wondering this. What is the libertarian and why should Americans vote gold? Well, certainly. Jake, I've written a musical. It's called Convention, The Birth of America, and I've gotten into the founders. It's on the Constitutional Convention. And I found that, of course, like libertarians, they debate, they argue, they, they fight, dispute among lots of things. The thing that each of the 55 delegates believed was The most important function of government is protecting our rights and our freedoms and our liberties from the encroachment of government. The unanimous choice. Number two is keeping us safe. We've gotten away from that. Libertarians are in our genes in our country. We speak for freedom, responsibility at all levels of society, individual, group, company, and governmental which is totally forgotten in today's world as well. And uh, we just look at things like Milton Friedman's comments, which would be a political revolution in our country, positive. We should judge our programs by their success, not their good intentions. And pretty much that's where we go. One, One more thing, because everybody pretty much should feel this way. Thomas Jefferson, a true libertarian, said that, I don't care if you worship one God, 20 gods, or no God. It doesn't pick my pocket and it doesn't break my leg. In other words, live and let live. That's who we are. Live and let live. Mr. Larry Sharp. I said all the time, right? You can be as liberal as you want to be, as conservative as you want to be. Just don't force your views on others, right? If, if you say to yourself, you know, I'm super liberal. The question is, do you want government to enforce your will and to force everyone else to be liberal? If you say yes, you're a Democrat. If you say no, you're libertarian. If you go, but I'm super conservative, Larry. I'm not liberal. I'm conservative. Okay, great. Do you think it's government's job to enforce your will upon others and force the rest of the country to be conservative? If you go yes, you're you're Republican. If you go no, you're libertarian. That's really the issue. Do you want to use force? Or do you instead say, it is up to me through my action, through my community, through my example, through my works, to show people they should be more like me, awesome, libertarian you are. Libertarian you are. Individualism first, freedom first, as I like to say, as the name of this podcast is, Freedom First. Now to Judge Jim Gray, what experience do you have that qualifies you to serve as president of the United States? Well, Jake, I will put my record, my background against any political 
presidential candidate in our country of any party. Just quickly go through it if you wish. It shows leadership, it shows background from my standpoint. I was in the Peace Corps in Costa Rica, todavía hablo español como la gente. Uh, I care about people, I was in the Peace Corps. Then I got out and on in May of 1970, I was in law school at the time, and I led a peace march from USC campus to the steps of Los Angeles City Hall, where we mailed 20,000 letters to President Nixon demanding that he withdraw our troops from Cambodia. Then one of the ironies of my life, I went from that peace march, two or three months later, I was actually on a Navy midshipman cruise in which we were sent to the rivers of Vietnam, where the USS Meeker County crew, of which I was a part, were awarded combat action ribbons. So I went from a peace march to the war within that period of time. I was a Navy JAG officer, a criminal defense attorney, as well as then a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles. And I ended up heading a unit prosecuting frauds against the FHA VA, responsible for putting several bank vice presidents in prison. You know, those are righteous prosecutions because it's done with forethought over time. They're stealing with a fountain pen and they should be held accountable. I believe in accountability. And then I was a judge for 25 years here in Orange County. And uh, I did something really very unusual for a judge, a sitting trial court judge. I held a press conference back in April of 1992, stating the record, because I was a former drug warrior as such, but stating my views that looking at the experience in my own courtroom, where we were churning low-level drug offenders through the system for no good purpose, the, our nation's war on drugs, drug prohibition, had failed us, and we had to change it, and we could change it to almost anything because nothing would be worse than what we were doing then. I took some heat for that, as you can imagine, back in 1992. I put my professional life at risk. I think that's a libertarian thing to do. But some things are more important, Jake, than job security. So that's what I did. Thereafter, I've been on a lot of media. Uh, the O'Reilly Factor twice, for example. He didn't agree with me, but at least he invited me back a second time. Uh, ABC News specials and that sort of thing. And speaking out actively since then. I am a libertarian. I was previously, until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act, uh, I was a, a Republican. But that direct frontal attack on my civil liberties, I could not be a part of any group that would condone, much less assist that attack. And Jake, I still remember the transition. It took me literally 13 seconds to decide, I really am a libertarian and will be for life, such that I ran for US Senate in 2004. You may remember David Nolan, one of our founders, Well, he was active in my campaign for Senate. I ran, I'm proud to say deeply, I was your standard bearer in 2012 with Governor Gary Johnson. I was the candidate for libertarians in, in 2012 as vice president. And I've been supporting, as has Larry, Larry's a king at this, but supporting down-ballot candidates throughout that period of time, donating money, helping them raise funds, talking to them, encouraging them, giving them suggestions about how to phrase things, which issues were really special to be accented, not changing their minds, but helping them phrase it. I just believe in what we're doing. I believe that libertarians right now, we will be the unifying candidates for the Libertarian Party will also be the unifying candidates for the United States of America who are crying out for who we are, what we will do, and, and, and how we will bring these principles back to government. That pretty much is a tirade, but that kind of ends what I'm, my thoughts are. You sound very qualified to me. My next question is to Larry Sharp. Uh -oh. Now, <laughs> Larry, welcome. Uh -oh. You have famously inspired tens of thousands to join the Libertarian Party in New York, and you have inspired many more across the nation. But what executive experience do you have to serve as vice president? 
It's a great question. Um, the number one uh, issue to remember here is uh, I'm not running for president. I'm running to support the judge. And that's what I'm here to do. Now, can I be the vice president? Of course. I've been an officer in a public company more than once. I've been a Marine. I've been an entrepreneur. I've dealt with big issues and small issues, of course. But that actually is secondary. The, the primary issue here is how can I support the judge because he is the leader that we need. Not me, it's him. I need people to see him for the true hero that he is. I need people to see him for the great man that he is. And that's my number one job. And when he's the president, he's gonna task me to do stuff. And I would do exactly what he said. He's the Naval officer, I'm the Marine. I will say, aye, sir. And I will get out there and make things happen. And we will change how this, how this country thinks, we'll change the environment to move everyone more towards liberty and freedom. That's the entire goal. So can I be? Of course, I've already done it. I've been, I'm the guy who reorgs companies. I'm the guy who deals with companies who are international and you've got an office in Berlin, an office in London. Of course I can do that. But that isn't the, the issue. The key issue is making sure people see the judge for the amazing man that he is and that I'm good at. I'm doing it now. And the second piece is what the judge talked about. The reason why I came aboard to, to help him do this is because he talked about the idea of making the down ticket more and more powerful and to actually win. Win this year and win next year and for the next four years. And Jake, you know, I'm all about that. That is like, I am all yes, about I do. that. Yes. yes, I do. Yes, I yeah. do. These two gentlemen do support down ballot candidates more than any other uh person running for office right now. Um, I wanted to ask you both a question. So my question to both of you, let me get you back in here. My question to both of you is that this election cycle, we have polarized the country like never before. The independent congressman, Justin Amash, joining the Libertarian Party has turned many heads, but now many Biden supporters are terrified that two high profile candidates such as yourselves would play a spoiler to their campaign. The number, the number of votes cast for Libertarian president every single election are growing in numbers. This is a long shot race, but how do you two plan on winning? You know, we do have a plan to win. Mm -hmm. Initially, we understand that we're not going to be able to compete with the tens of millions of dollars that the Trumps and the Bidens will have. So in California, you know, it would be a waste of money. New York, Biden's going to win New York. Biden's going to win California. Trump is going to win Texas, et cetera. So at the beginning, Jake, we will spend all of our resources, all of our time. Larry committed to do this when he agreed to run with me in like five small independent states. So we will put out billboards. We'll get and any time I traveled in 2012. I always got lots of good local media and we will mm -hmm. continue to. Then we will look at people in the eye in their town hall meetings when they're open, when they're in Rotary Club meetings grocery stores and look them in the eye and say, your vote will make history. You, we will, if we win your state, get 38%, maybe 40% of the vote, we will win your state. If we win two or three small states, then quite likely neither Trump nor Biden will get enough electoral college votes to win a majority. So it will go to the House of Representatives where I assure you, no Republican in Congress is going to vote for Trump, for, for Biden. No Democrat is gonna vote for Trump, but they're restricted by by the Constitution, the 12th Amendment, to the three top candidates, and we will win that election. 
It's exciting. But equally importantly, if we just win one state, that will be a revolution for the gold team, for the Libertarian Party. Will you see the maps of the victors, et cetera, and the blue victors and the red? What's that, what's that gold state up there? That will matter. And I said only at the beginning we go to the five small states because when we start polling at 15 and 20 percent and 22 percent in New Hampshire or Montana or Washington or wherever, that will have coattails. Then the national media will look at that. What's going on in Wyoming? Who are these? The libertarians? Wow, that's a story. Let's follow them. So then the entire nation will start following libertarian candidates, not only Gray Sharp, but the other libertarian candidates will get that credibility as well. We will do that. I'm enthusiastic about it. It will work. And uh, I think that we have a really solid chance of success. Mr. Sharp? The judge is exactly right. It's why I, I came aboard, right? The, the, the answer is if we, when I was running for governor of New York, you saw the campaign, Jake, I was running to win. Running to win got me an amazing consolation prize. It got me tens of thousands of new libertarians. It got me 103 uh, victories the year after. It got us ballot access. It got so much. And when a judge said, Larry, I got a plan to win this thing. I said, all right then. I like that because if we're going for the win, even if we don't get it, we will get amazing results. A lot of other candidates are saying, well, I just want X, I just want Y, I just want Z. Well, when they fail, we get nothing. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go for what the judge is talking about. Let's 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 have a chance to win this damn thing. Let's get out there. And here's the biggest piece of people don't understand. The best the best part of this is if we can actually get in the debate stage, that will change everything. And the odds yes. of us, don't get me wrong, are slim. I get that. But the judge's plan can work. Because if we get actually some uh, traction locally, that will then get us traction to the main stage, which means we'll get a CNN town hall or something like that. They won't put us on a debate stage yet. They're going to test us. And if we knock it out of the park, as you see, we're doing right now. We work very well together. We knock it out of the park always. We're good with each other. We get it because we actually respect each other. When that begins to happen, they see that. They go, wow, that's interesting. And the debates are all about ad revenue. And when mm-hmm. they see that we can make some good ad revenue, when the judge is on, then all of a sudden they give him one more town hall to see if it was a fluke or not. And when they realize it's not a fluke, now the judge is on the actual debate stage. And when that happens, oh my God, that is an earth shattering event. And we've got a shot at it this way. That's why I love it. That's the answer. And Jake, people are anxious to have it. People would crave this, this polarization going on today, the name calling, the tribe, whatever you say. We're talking about merits. We're talking about logical constituents all around the country. I'll tell you a story. You didn't ask me, but it's on my mind. I just became a granddaddy in April the 22nd, just recently. Congratulations. And, well, and thank you. It's good stuff. And five days later, I was holding my little grandson, Hudson, and I looked down at him and thought, what a miracle baby. Just what a miracle to have my baby right here. And then the second thing I thought, and you'll probably chuckle at this. Okay, Hudson, you're $76,000 in debt. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. we are libertarians are the only one protecting, talking to the young people, protecting them from this deficit. The others are increasing the deficit. Maybe talk is cheaper. You're increasing it. We will address that. Because what a legacy we're going to leave to Hudson or to our children or grandchildren about all of this debt 
It's a time bomb. We need to confront it. We'll do it as a people. We'll do it as an audit. We'll give them honest information, not scare people unduly, just with realism, like every other project. And we'll talk to the American people. We'll go over the heads of Congress if we need to, and we'll be able to address problems now. Uh, Nick says that we need to hammer polarization and common sense. I think that's a prerequisite for being a libertarian, but how would you hammer away on polarization and common sense? Well, I think we've been talking about that, Jay, that uh, people are tired about having this polarization and uh, they're anxious to have a rational third party voice. They vote against one or the other. You know, we're going to take votes away from both. In the Peace Corps, as I said, I care about people. We have a plan for you. But you have to understand, if you go out to the public and say, I should repeal Obamacare. Well, I would repeal Obamacare. But then two, a third, 40% of the people out there think, you don't care about me. That is not, and it's not true. So you replace it. What, what I do, you know, Milton Friedman's idea, have vouchers on a sliding scale that people can use to pay for health insurance or to pay even for co-pays and that sort of thing. But otherwise, get the health care out or get the government out of your health care. If you mm -hmm. want your health care to be run by the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's where <laughs> we're going. Is that what you want? Yes. Or you no. want it to be run by the VA? Is that what you want? The answer no. is no. So bring back competition. And then you solidify this with, and, and I recommend all libertarians or any candidate use this, think for a moment. Have you ever thought of or heard of a time when the government entered into the economy, entered into the marketplace, when prices did not go up and quality of goods and services went down? Education, healthcare, you name it, that's what happens. Get the government out of these things. Competition will come back in. Quality will remain. And just like when I was growing up, where we didn't have the government involved, all the emergency rooms you want. Noah's saying that, life, that medicine was too expensive. Let's go back to there. We're the only game in town. I can endorse that statement. <laughs> I, convinced, um, I convinced you. I was a hard yeah, sell. I don't know if you convinced me, but I, I think I like what I hear. I think I think I've already been convinced, and you just kind of articulated it in a way that I've been unable to. So I do have to ask you another question, Judge. Uh, the United States is now over $25 trillion in debt. I just checked the debt clock this morning. Americans are increasingly worried about that rising number. How do you plan on bringing that number down to zero? Sure. Well, it won't come down to zero in the next four years. I, I, can, I can't broadcast that. Look, other than talking about it like with baby Hudson, what we're going to do is audit the federal government publicly. Now you hear my fellow candidates saying, I'm going to abolish this corporation and that agency, this agency and that agency. No, they're not. Presidents do not have the ability to abolish it. They can keep from appointing a secretary of the Department of Education, but the department is there, it's institutionalized. So the way you do it, Jake, is you pass sunset provisions, in effect, requiring every federal agency to come to Congress openly, publicly, I don't know, every five years, individually staggered out. And then we ask them publicly, it's on C-Spanners or whatever. And you ask them, okay, what have you done for the last five years? What were your goals? What did you accomplish? How much did you spend? Okay, interesting. Now, what are your goals for the next five years? What would you what you hope to accomplish? Well, how much do you propose to spend? Then we can look at it together and say, well, not this. This is duplicated by the states. This is duplicated by someone. No, don't do that. Restrict their budget for that. No, this isn't necessary. Look, it was imposed 
in the 1930s during the New Deal. You can argue whether it was important or not back then, but not anymore. Times have changed. No, cut this out. This one, okay, this has promise. Focus on that. Restrict your funding and become lean and mean. And so we can do that. And by the way, there are numbers of agencies that would not stand scrutiny mm. directly. But you can't say I'm going to abolish them. But Congress can stop their funding. That abolishes these various departments. Which mm. ones? Okay, in my sights, yes, the Department of Education. Government has no business, federal government, really, or state government, but federal government has no business being involved in education. Look at the Constitution, too, if you wish to read that old document, but it's just yes. not there. So we can do away with that. The Bureau of Indian Affairs, which Native Americans call bossing Indians around. You know, mm. there was a wonderful comment that I quote, which was, anyone that feels they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. It's really pretty much all you have to say. So let's shine a light on that. Tell the Native Americans that they can run their own lives. They're not going to be, their children are not going to be educated by mommy government, that you take control of that. And I would do away with that. But repeal its funding. That's where our plan is. That will reduce the obligations and we'll do it publicly. Not going to scare people, not going to intimidate people. We're going to all do it together because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> I'd agree yeah. that it is. I want to grab that polarization piece too, if I could. I, I sure. think it. I I think Nick is is totally right, right. I, I've asked people this. You know, do you do you want the country to come together? And people often go, Yeah, I wish it would be. Yeah, I wish it would. Awesome. Do you think Trump can do that? And they go, Well, you think Biden can do that? Oh uh, well, yeah, they can't. All they do is dig it in deeper and make it more polarized. What can? What group can? the Liberty Movement. And at the head of that movement, Judge Sim Gray can be the one people rally behind to go, you know what? Maybe he's the guy. He's a judge. He's fair. He hears things. He understands how to mediate. He understands how to resolve issues. Mm. Maybe the judge is the one to sit here and mediate this left and right to make it just fair for all of us so we can just move on with our lives. I think this is the answer. Well, and Jake, let me, let me add a little to that, too. It's kind sure. of uh, ham and eggs here with Larry. Go ahead. But by the way, Larry will be following Yes, Sir in, in public, but in private, our, our groups are going to talk openly. We're going to disagree. I want people to disagree with me. I want to get the right thing happening. Sure. Leads me into what I'm saying about polarization, that yes, our cabinet will include certainly libertarians, independents, but also Republicans and Democrats, as sure. long as they agree with our philosophy of you know, responsibility at all levels of society, live and let live, don't tread on me, don't tread on anybody, that sort of thing. And then it's kind of like Lincoln's team of rivals in a way. But then when we have problems with Republicans, hey, you're a Republican, go talk to your colleagues. Let's get them on board. Same thing with Democrats. Let's get them on board. Let's talk with each other, figure out the meritorious way, and we'll be able to overcome that tribalism that we're facing today. The country will lap that up. They're craving it. But we're the only game in town. I agree. I think as, as libertarians who are fighting the polarization fight, we can't be hypocrites when we finally get into office. We have mm -hmm. to be able to have civil discourse and talk to both parties and show that we are a bridge for communication, show that we are a bridge for, for unity. Um, so I, I, I got to be with you there. I'm, I'm fully with you there. But there's another uh, piece on top of this one, Jake, right? I mean, sure. I'm sorry, Judge. Judge is now getting me going, right? This, this yeah. part is, is another piece here. If, if the judge begins to become as popular as I hope and believe he will, then that's going to help some of these down-to-get candidates 
who are running for Congress right now, who are running for state assembly right now. So all of a sudden, now you get a couple people who win Congress or assembly. You look, you know, in New York, if, if we had 10 people, 20 people who were libertarians at the state level, we'd run the government because we become yeah. the, the, the swing vote. Same thing in the Senate, same thing in the Congress. We get Absolutely. a couple of people. Now, let's say the judge actually wins this thing this year. I hope he does. That'd be amazing. And he does. Mm-hmm. We're going to struggle for a couple of years figuring things out, fighting back and forth, but it'll be fine. Sure. We'll deal with it. But imagine what happens in 2022 when all of a sudden, because of what he's done, we've got four or five or six more L's in the Congress. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, 2022 comes and a judge can start making stuff happen without a problem because now they become the swing vote. That'll happen at the state level, at the county level, and at the federal level. All three. I've said this, especially I'm running for state assembly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said they would come to me. I would yes. have Republicans and Democrats coming to me because I am that swing vote. I'm yes. the guy that likes the Second Amendment. I'm the guy that's standing up for cannabis rights. I'm the guy in the middle. And they're going to come to me. I'm the bridge for unity. Yes. Um, I want oh, to touch on that judge instead of the bridge for unity. Let's steal that. That's amazing, ah. Jake. So good. I'm sure that was my comment. I'm sure I said yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure, sure you said that. I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> so good. I, I have to ask you another question. Uh, because it's almost unavoidable to talk about right now. It is it, it is almost a media sensation more than anything. But current president, current vice president Mike Pence has been tapped to lead the fight against coronavirus. If you were in this position, Larry, how would you lead that change or lead yeah, that charge? Ab- absolutely. And the judge and I have discussed this many times. And if, if I I'll let him go, but he's gonna like yell at you for like a half hour about how much he hates how that how this happened. So let me give him a couple minutes, Judge, before I let the judge go. Um, so I would do what the judge asked and what he's been saying, right? Mm-hmm. I would be allowing the government to do something that even libertarians have accepted as is culturally ours, and that is being a repository for information. Mm-hmm. I would be the guy saying, here is what the CDC says. Here's what the FDA says. States, local people Look, here is the report. In fact, if you get any information, if locally you found something out and you want to have a place to put it, if you want to have a place where people can talk and go back and forth and figure out what is the actual way of curing this, making this work. That's happening in Sweden right now. It happened mm-hmm. in South Korea years ago with SARS and the H1N1 and, and, and the issues they dealt with, and that bird flu. They did that already. It's happening now in Sweden. That's what I'd be doing now, making the federal government a repository for information, not a stick to hit people over the head with. Just a place where everyone can come centralized to go, okay, who's you got this in New York? Okay, what'd you get in Oklahoma? Okay, what did you get in South Dakota? Okay, great. Let's put it all here so that now mm. everyone has it right here to figure out what's the right way to move forward now and more importantly, the next time this happens. Mm. More importantly, the next time. Well, it's a clearinghouse. Thank you. It's yes. A, Perfect judge. Information. Plus, you know, you get information. You get experts, by the way. Larry and I are not experts on this. We would get people, listen to them. By the way, I was a judge for 25 years, like I said. I was trained to listen. And yeah. back to, to my musical a little bit, but uh, the word silent and the word listen have the same letters. I always thought that was kind of interesting. But nonetheless, I listen. 
I evaluate evidence. I evaluate the credibility of the source of the evidence. I consider mm -hmm. and I make a decision. I don't know everything by any means, you know, military, mm -hmm. whatever. But you listen and then you make a decision and you explain it. And then, by the way, as well, so you can give advice to people. I recommend that the doctors say you should space each other's social distancing. You should mm. wear a mask under these circumstances, that sure. sort of thing. And then you get the government out of the way. When this originally happened, Jake, as you know, then the CDC and the SDA and that sort of stuff impeded good, important people, knowledgeable yeah. people from, that, from testing, from doing these things. They eventually re they fast-tracked the process, which basically tells us directly it shouldn't have been there in the first place. But the federal government failed us at the outset because it is their responsibility to plan to for some emergency. We don't know what emergency will be, what, when, where. It could be an earthquake. It could be a typhoon. It could be a pandemic. But once the emergency happens, it's too late to plan. So they failed us in that regard, too. I think that, Larry, you would be instructed to make sure that you'd oversee a group that would, that would be planning. Let me put in a, a kick for Ken Armstrong, who I invited on my on my radio podcast sure. with all rise the libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray. And uh, he was the head of emergency planning at the Port mm -hmm. of Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. so he planned for earthquakes, for example. Three years later, they had an earthquake. They implemented his plan. It really worked well because they were prepared. I accused him on my show, by the way, of causing that earthquake so he could show <laughs> off on the planning ad. But, you know, he was in the right, he did the right thing. Our government has not. The government of Gray Sharp will plan. And, and try to help, but not dictate and not close down businesses. That's a social, that's a, that's a free enterprise yeah. customer market, not a business one. It's interference with capitalism. Uh, it's in largely what we're seeing in New York and in California. I heard you guys might even have a worse where we're interfering with the first amendment. We're bridging mm. the first amendment. And uh, it seems that governor Cuomo and governor Newsom have no respect for the constitution. Uh, as a president, what would what would you do in, in response to these kind of abridges on our on our civil liberties, on our Bill of Rights? Well, we have the court system. Uh, as president, I'm unable and unwilling to order a governor to do anything. You know, that's mm. their that's their responsibility. I take my bully pulpit. I'd say, wait a minute, what's going on in Ohio and Oklahoma is working pretty well, for example, or but Indiana and Maine, it's you know, that sort of thing. But no, I don't have the authority, first of all, to close down businesses, contrary to what our current commander in chief says, or mm -hmm. to order people to wear masks or the president has no such authority. Mm. I would I would agree. I want to shift here a little bit onto another amendment. Uh, some of an amendment that's very important to my district, the Second Amendment. Both yes. you, both of you, myself included, are in states with some of the most restrictive firearm laws in the country. What is the Gray administration's position on the Second Amendment? I know it's good, but let my listeners know. Well, let me say directly, I'm not a gun enthusiast. I don't own guns. I don't use illegal drugs either, but it's the same thing. It's a question of liberty and it's a question of responsibility. So yeah. I favor the Second Amendment. It's there for a reason and it yes. should be in. Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> well, okay. You know, a lot of this can be state issues as well, but, uh, but as, yeah, far as, no. as far as is concerned, the Second Amendment lives, and if you have a problem with it, you know, you go to the court system, too. The the issue I think we have the Second Amendment is, is there are some people who think you have to be a gun enthusiast or you have to be pro-gun, and that's mm -hmm. not true. You can be pro-Second Amendment and actually not be pro-gun. You can, you can be someone who says, I would rather not have a firearm, but why would I stop you from having one, right? You can be that. And I remember, I'll give you a, 
an extreme example. I remember this is years ago. I used to be a teacher. And there was a teacher who was with us in the in the school, and she was talking about how she was completely believed in nonviolence, a hundred percent nonviolence, a hundred percent like Gandhi, no violence. And and people um you know pushed her. Well, what if you were being raped? Wouldn't you want to have a gun? And mm. she said, No, I would rather talk my way out of it. And I said, Wow. She goes, Yes. She goes, I've been in a situation where I was, I thought it was going to happen and I talked my way out of it and I would still do it. I would never use violence ever. And I said, does that mean you'd stop somebody else from doing it? She said, no, you have to, you have, you, you, I knew you that was coming. yes. She said, no, you, you have to be able to do what's right. Your values. And I agree with her. You hmm. should live your values. What the second amendment says is defend yourself the way you feel appropriate to defend yourself. Whatever that might be gun. Awesome. Your wit and your words, awesome. But you get to choose to defend yourself the way you want to. That's what the Second Amendment says. I, I agree. Uh, I hit on the point a lot that I, I live in the country. And uh, Judge, just so you know, I live far in far northern New York towards Syracuse uh, in comparison to Larry, far, far north. Um, and, and out here we have a lot of rural areas, a lot of rural communities that are miles and miles away from the nearest police station. And I've always advocated for the Second Amendment. Uh, especially in my district and especially in this area, because those those homes, those people that live in the rural communities can't wait for the police to arrive when the, the danger is seconds away when the police is only minutes away. Mm -hmm. So I've always advocated for those reasons. Jake, that's true pretty much everywhere, even for Larry. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a I won't call it a bang bang decision, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, I didn't say that, by the way, I wasn't even here. Today, but, you know. <laughs> important thing to be able to defend yourself responsibly yes. get educated about gun safety too by the way would be a good idea but yes absolutely and i don't think that there should be people uh, forgive me but i don't think there should be people legislating things about restricting firearms when they're describing and characterizing firearms incorrectly <laughs> when i hear somebody say this this gun shoots 30 bullets a second. I, no, <laughs> right, you yes, were both yes. in the military. You know otherwise, yes. you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's. It's yeah, just, well, well, you, well, you know, it's the silencer clips. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the trace and the, and the, and the heat sinking tracer round. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Whatever that is. Flames. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's that, it's that AK-15. You know that thing. Oh, so, yeah. AK-15. AK <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes. Whatever happened to the AK-3? I think they jumped that one. Thank yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes. All right. So. Now let's let's shift the conversation a little bit more. Um, judge, a key topic for most libertarians is getting rid of the income tax or any tax for that matter. Mm -hmm. How is this important and, and, and how do you plan on doing this? Well, it is important and that's certainly our goal, but it's not going to happen soon, mm. particularly with the coronavirus and everything else. So we want to make things better. And in fact, we have a plan to take about 80% of the intrusion of the IRS, the expense, the bureaucracy, the, the, the intrusion away. And then once we get there, maybe in you know five years, something like that, then people will want to see, wow, that worked pretty well. That was 80%. Let's go another 10. Let's go the full round. But in the meantime, let's try to get, and we have a plan to also undo the welfare system by and large. We, we call it turning a crutch into a ladder to allow people the opportunity to climb out of poverty. 
by having incentives to earn the extra dollar, which is totally not true today. Just totally not true. So these are all things. The complication today with the IRS, I signed my tax return about a month ago. I read it. I'm modestly intelligent. I had no idea what I was signing. It's so complicated, all this sort of stuff, so expensive. We could, in our plan, submit your tax return on a postcard. Now, the uh, IRS doesn't like that particularly. I assure you that tax attorneys, tax accountants would not vote for it. H&R Block would probably not be in favor. I can live with that. But the people, when they realize what this plan would do, will swarm to it. And then they'll be gratified. Then maybe down the line, we can go the, re the remaining 20%. And Larry? Look, I, I think anything that makes the current horrible system better is the right move, right? We've got to move towards two things. One, making the terrible system now better by doing what the judge says. One, actually getting people to have an incentive to get off of it, right? Right now, what happens is people get on it and they're trapped forever, right? If, if right now, if you're a, a single mom, as an example, and you have two kids, you'd be foolish to work. Literally, it, it's a bad choice. People say, well, they're lazy. They're not lazy, they're smart. If they get one job, they pay more in childcare and they could possibly make and they lose all their benefits. Why would they? It's a disaster. So first thing is giving people an incentive to get off, but I'm still not done. The next is this is able to actually make things simpler, right? Which is often good because we're gonna save tons of money. Right now we're dropping easily 70 to 80 to 90,000 per person easily. And there are over 60 million in so much of a form people getting something from the government now. Over 60 million. And we are dropping so that's why entitlements are a huge chunk of our budget. Imagine cutting that by 75%. Just mm. imagine that, right? Huge, bringing it down. But next, it allows people to realize there's other ways of raising money and raising yourself out of poverty and encourages the gig economy, which is crazy now with people adjusting and shifting jobs every three to four to five years, right? It also encourages people coming back from the military, veterans, uh, parents who are divorced, all of those things. It helps everybody move forward. It's, it's a better system. Felons being released from prison will have a basis in which to try to then start climbing. You know, it's a compassionate program, not because we have to, because we don't, but we are a compassionate people. We will because we want to. And that'll even address the, the homeless issue, which I, it bothers me. You know, it's a blight on who we are. Again, not because I owe them anything, not because they're entitled, but we'll set up an institutional program to assist. They would have some money in their ATM account. And then the private industry would quickly start putting in inexpensive room and board facilities and stuff so that we could assist them without the involvement of, of government. Government today on the homeless issue, as you know, Occasionally they feel guilty. Occasionally they have some political pressure. So they'll throw $10 million at something, feel really good about themselves, and it'll be, work better for a few people for three months. And then mm -hmm. they go away and it comes back to the same thing. Our program will institutionalize approaches this way. So these are things that we just need to work at. So I want to... I want to I want to make sure everybody knows and I want to I want to kind of talk you guys up here a little bit. I don't think that there's any other candidate running for office right now that can do what you guys can do for down ballot candidates like myself. I don't think that there's anybody who has uh, the seriousness or the the executive um, experience that you guys have to hold this office and to and to fight for civil liberties.
And uh, for any libertarians that are watching, trust me when I say that these two are going to help us more than any other candidate on the ticket. I also want to add that if you're not a libertarian, these two guys are classically conservative and classically progressive. You're not going to find somebody who is more fiscally uh, conservative than these two, and you're not going to find someone who cares more about civil liberties than these two. Um, we're getting to the last bit of time here, and I want to offer you both the floor to make your can uh, make the case for your candidacy. I want to start with Judge Jim Gray. I, I want the judge to, to to wrap it up. Can I be fast? I want to end it on the judge sure. knocking out of the park. I want to set it sure. up. Judge, you knock it out of the park. Absolutely. All I want to say is when it, the biggest thing that the big one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to do this and why I agreed to do this is because of the down ticket. You you brought it right up, right? I I took a year and a half out of my life running for New York, and what did I get? I got 103 victories the next year. That was worth it. I'm in. I'll do that every single time. When a judge gave me the plan for impact and maybe actually win this thing, but no matter what, still help down ticket. I mean, that was everything, right? To me, if we get the press that we think we're going to get, it's going to help everyone across the country ballot access. It's going to help them with, you know, down ticket. And if you look at the people who have been working in the party for the past, oh, sorry, the people who are, who are running for office right now in the Libertarian Party, right? The, the president, vice president. Who's been here <clears throat> since 2016? I've gone through over 60 different events in the last four years. I've seen two people besides me, Adam Kokesh and Judge Jim Gray. That's it. I've seen no one else until all of a sudden now they want to run for office. Now they love us. What happens after this? We're not going away. We'll still be here. That's the critical piece. Well, and, and, and thank you again. We will be able to change the culture. You know, I, I, was, I was in the Peace Corps, like I told you. One thing I learned in Peace Corps training is people do not change their thoughts, their desires, their actions, unless they have what we call a felt need. That is, it has to feel like it comes from within. How will I benefit from this? So we can show them how, with regard to our health care, our education, our, our wars, all of these things, our children, how we can show them that. And it will change the culture. We will make libertarianism accessible around the country. You know, people then, this will, see, I had people running away from me there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will make it accessible such that we will help expand our party, grow our party, help our down ballot candidates, help with ballot access where now get it, you know, get on these ballots. So I tell people, look, you know, visit us, go to graysharp2020.com. You'll like what you see then join us, support us, even help us move mountains. And if you do, or come on, even if you don't, we will do you proud. We're committed to that. We're in it. We're in it for you. And we're proud of who we are. So let's go at them. That sounds great to me. And I, I just want to thank you two very much for coming on. It's been an absolute, an absolute honor. I, I wish you two the very best of luck. And I, and I wish, I really hope to see you two come out as a nominee. Um, so I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, and share to keep the program grow going. Go to Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp's uh, website. It's graysharp2020.com. Even if you're not going to, even if you don't know if you're going to vote for them, visit these guys. 
Make sure you know what they stand for. You can't say no unless you know what these guys represent. Stay safe, everybody.